Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. I would say that I have learned to accept it and leave it where it was and not allow it to control me. So it's not even just him, just the experience and the emotions. I have faced them. I've taken responsibility in my own right for allowing someone to treat me like that. I allowed bad behavior. I allowed poor examples of parenting and what a relationship should look like. Welcome to All Things Parenting, where we introduce you to experts who share proven approaches to parenting, co-parenting, and step-parenting that we were never taught and need now more than ever. Parenting is one of the most important and difficult roles we take on. And even with married parents, it's by no means an easy job. 
divorcing parents are faced with the added trauma of divorce, the overwhelm and exhaustion from single parenting, the wide-ranging, thorny challenges of co-parenting, and the monumental effort needed when you enter into a blended family with hers, his, ours, and all the exes. We need rock-solid skills, approaches, guidance, and support. And that's what All Things Parenting is designed to offer. Welcome back to another episode. In fact, the last episode of All Things Parenting. So over the course of this series, we've talked about parenting in general, co-parenting, parallel parenting, step-parenting, parenting complex children, parenting from long distance. And now I am delighted to have the ex-experts um, on with me, Jessica and TH. And while they have a wonderful platform that you can find in the show notes and we'll talk about later, uh, they're also both uh, deeply experienced in parenting post-divorce, both for about 15 years and one of the exciting things about this conversation is that Jessica uh, emerged from what I will uh, term a more garden variety divorce, whereas TH, um, along with myself, came from a more high conflict divorce. And so today we get to talk about two moms and their experience co-parenting over a decade and a half Um from very different dynamics. And uh, and so um, let's dive in. And if I could start, uh, Jessica, could you begin by just, uh, just a little crib notes version of what was your divorce like? What was that dynamic between you and your ex when you emerged into co-parenting? I mean, in one word, my divorce was amicable. I knew from the beginning, my parents are still together, but I, there was a girl that I had grown up with whose parents were divorced. I didn't know her very well, but anytime I saw her mom, she always seemed bitter and angry. I have no idea whether or not it had anything to do with the fact that, that she had been divorced, but for some reason that always stuck in my head. And my kids were two and four, and all I could think about was that... I wanted to have the kind of relationship after the divorce where there was no tension, where we could sit at a table and break bread, where we could be at birthday parties, graduations, bar and bat mitzvahs, all of the things, and that my kids would never feel bad if they were at one parent's house versus the other or ever feel like they had to choose. So I made a very concerted effort throughout the divorce kind of negotiation settlement process. And once we were, you know, separated and, and starting what the co-parenting pattern would look like um, to really take the high road because he'd had an affair. That was the impetus really for the divorce. And I was really focused on the end goal, which I am happy to say worked out exactly how I'd hoped. Beautiful. Beautiful. So plenty of pain and hurt. Um, and yet you were able to take the high road and we'll hear in a little while how he was able to come alongside. And so let me just go over to you, TH. You had a slightly different experience, didn't you? I did. And look, I would have loved to have had Jessica's situation, but that just wasn't the nature of my relationship with my ex. 
I was miserable the last four years of my marriage. I was basically a single parent. He was never home, missed holidays, birthdays, vacations, all of it, because he was carrying on a four-year affair across the country. And when I found out about this, he was actually engaged to her. And I told her she saved my life that day because she heard that he was still married. So this all had to be cleared up. And it was a hallelujah. It's still one of the greatest days of my life. May 8th, 2008, I was on the carpool line. Hallelujah, no guilt. No guilt. That's the only reason that I was really staying in there. And I I just, I didn't even know what kind of man I was married to. I didn't know what a narcissist was until I dragged, I didn't really drag him. It was like a honeymoon stage for three weeks. He did whatever I wanted. Um, And I took him to my therapist and she pulled me back after our session. And she said, uh, you know, you're going to need help with your divorce. We are going to teach you how to identify what is noise and what is fact, because he is a narcissistic sociopath. And I was like, what does that even mean? But then then I was like, oh, my God, I'm not crazy. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with me. I'm okay. I'm not a bad mom. I'm not any of the things that I was told for many years. So. One would think he's engaged. I'm happy to be out. We'd be done. Right. He dragged me through the courts for four years. We had three judges. We had forced mediation. We had a lawyer arbitration panel. We had everything. And I just really wanted out. And there was no reasoning with him. And I also hired a lawyer. I'm not sure even if I hired a different lawyer, I would have had a different circumstance, but we had like a a room full of sharks. Right. So I was following her lead because what did I know? Well, now I know better. Um, So it took four years for our divorce. And it, it was it was great because I was free, but it was hard because the process and the humiliation of being evaluated now as a mother. You trusted me for four years. Now you're evaluating me as a mom and you're evaluating my ability to get a job. I have a master's degree. Where's the job? So all of the things I I feel like looking back, he just wanted to tarnish who I am. And I was so clearly not the person he was trying to make me out to be. And he settled on the day of trial that day, literally at the door, those things really do happen, people. It's not just on TV. Right. Yeah. And so then- that's how that's how you entered co-parenting. And so I yeah. just I just want to for the listeners like that's your contrast. My situation was much more like yours, TH. And so, um, you know, people say all the time, well, well, what what does I refer more to high conflict than a personality disorder? And what does that look like? And uh, and and what it looks like in marriage is what it looks like in divorce is what it looks like in co-parenting. So even though we're going to be talking mostly about co-parenting for a moment, when you are in a relationship with somebody who can't own their part, who doesn't see um, their responsibility, who who can't um, who doesn't have the capacity to be flexible, to negotiate, to put the children first, to show grace, to 
uh, compromise. Uh, I was just talking to a new client yesterday and uh, the expectation was very unrealistic. And my saying is how goes the marriage? So goes the divorce. So goes the co-parenting. The best you can do is your part in changing the dance. And so I would love to dive into some of the specifics of what that looks like. But before we get there, I think we can all kind of talk about this topic. And that is the vital importance of taking off your coat of armor, stepping off of the battlefield and beginning to be different with that person, regardless of what happened before. And so those are my words. I'm going to toss it to you first, TH, and then to you, Jessica, on that topic. That that initial transition from we're fighting over whatever, the kids, the time, the equitable distribution, and now all those decisions are made, but we've been in a fight, whether it's been a big battle or not. So talk a little bit about your experience of that transition. I've learned not to engage. I literally do not engage with him. I don't have a phone conversation, so I can't hear the tone of his voice. I don't look at the smirk on his face. I, I don't, I don't meet, I can't be anywhere near that energy. So I don't engage. I literally handle it as a business transaction through an email that's carefully crafted. I put it in drafts. I never send it the first, maybe even the second time. I strip all emotion from it. The kids have birthday parties. This is what's happening this weekend. Just facts. That's it. So, so I'm curious. That's where you are now. Were you is that were you really there like right out the door of the divorce? You were like total because that's what I want to talk about for a so, minute. Because there's there's that transition where um it's you're really pivoting and I'm I'm hearing you yeah. and I'm wondering, was there a pivot or were you right there? No, it, it was a pivot because I was a single parent making all the rules and now I have to bounce this off of him. Now we, I have to talk to him about stuff. I need approval. Like, who are you? You've been nowhere for four years. Now you're here and, and you have to know stuff. That was really hard for me to give up because I liked making all the rules and made my life so much easier, right? Um, so that was hard for me. I will say that having a therapist, when you're coming out of a marriage like that, a relationship like that is critical to have someone who's really excellent and who you can hear. They can be excellent and you might think they're crap because you're it's not a good matchup. But so someone it, who has the experience, you, you were really also very lucky that your therapist was skilled that saw way. The, saw the personality and was and had those skills yeah. for sure. <clears throat> Yeah, I yeah. knew exactly what to yeah. tell you to do. That that was very fortunate on my part. And she carried me. I think I saw her two, maybe three times a week at the very beginning, because then I'm dealing with this woman coming into my kid's life. It was enough that the lies and the deceit and everything on his end. But now there's a woman here who's in my kid's life. It's been like a hot minute. Right. So it did not happen automatically. It does take a lot of time and training and practice. Right. But you need support from someone who knows better than you do 
the right ways to do it. And she truly coached me. It wasn't even my lawyer. My lawyer was sucking up every penny for all the therapy I used her for, which is not what you use your lawyer for. And, And it did nothing but fuel the fire. It didn't help me be successful to heal and to learn to engage with him, which is where I am now. So therapy, practice, Shutting off text messages, turning off the phone. We didn't have parenting apps. Yeah. So, yeah. And we're going to talk about uh, you're getting into boundaries now. And I want to talk about that in a little bit. But so so let's just toss it over to Jessica. So so here, TH, you know, came out and she was she was just in a, a lot of turmoil with everything going on and what was the pivot for you with that mindset from the beginning and and if you could just speak a little bit to was that a one woman show or did you have a spouse who also had a fairly decent mindset about you know keeping the kids center and keeping I, I it amicable I I think that part of what made my divorce amicable was the remorse from him when I found out about the affair and the fact that he really did not want to get divorced. And I sort of a little bit had the upper hand, if you can call it that, by by saying, standing firm in my own decision, like you've crossed the line. There's no coming back from this. You have you have exceeded, you know, whatever would have been acceptable. So he was very much kind of like sort of whatever I said is how it went. Um, I had the kids with me uh for I, I don't remember exactly the amount of time it was 15 years ago, but I would say at least the first six months because he was living in like a one bedroom apartment and I had made a rule, an arbitrary rule in the parenting agreement that the kids could not have an overnight with him until he had an apartment that had sufficient room for them. Mm-hmm. So he was coming to my apartment pretty much every evening to, you know, after the, you know, give the kids a bath or after the bath and helping to put them to bed. Like my kids were two and four. I don't even know if they realized for a very long time that he wasn't living in the apartment with us because he would come in the mornings to see them. I think he was very scared as most men are, um, that he would somehow lose his kids despite my reassurance that that was not my intention. So he, he wasn't around. He became a much better father when we were getting divorced he was fine to leave, not in the way that TH's husband did, like just out and and uh, and never home and always traveling. But like, if I was like, this is what we're doing on the weekend, or like, let's do this with the kids, or this, there's going to be this or this. Like, he just was kind of always along for the ride. It's you know, he he wasn't responsible for making the decisions, planning activities, and things like that. And I will say, he stepped up to the plate when it was his turn to do that. When he had to do that. The transition was difficult in a similar way of TH's in that he had been having this affair and he stayed with this woman uh, who showed up at my son's birthday party a few months later and things like that. Um, But I feel like the transition for me certainly was more on the emotional side of things. I didn't want to get back together with him, but we'd been together for half my life at that point. We had gotten together when I was 18 and I was 36 when we split. And just everything about my life was really tied up with him. I felt like we kind of grown up together since we were kids in a sense. And that was a very difficult emotional transition for me. And, um, but fortunately 
I think he saw that my intention was to be able to, you know, what my end game was to be able to get along, to be able to celebrate holidays together with his parents. Like, you know, things that uh, that a lot of people don't do or wouldn't want to do were the things that I did want to do. And I think he was grateful for that in a sense. And so I think the transition, the most difficult transition for me was the emotional transition. But he kind of went along for a long time with how I was telling him to do things. We were also very lucky. I live in New York City. We had the most amazing nanny. And she was like the constant for my kids. She went back and forth with my kids. So she helped facilitate all of that. So he had a little bit like he didn't have to worry about school pickups and after school activities and stuff because we had her. And I just think it all made it easier for him. I think it took him a little while to kind of um, not gain confidence, but get to a point where he was sort of like, okay, I kind of got it. And now I'm going to do things my way. And I don't need to listen to your rules because when the kids are with me, I'm in charge. Yes. That was a later transition. (laughs) I want to say one other thing. Keep in mind, we got divorced at the exact same time. We were best couples friends. Our kids were always together. So when Jessica and I started our pendant daily day parenting time, and it was in our ex's best interest too, we had our kids at the same time. So our kids were literally together every weekend, whether they were with us or with their dads. Right. And that helped the two of us anyway to co-parent. And I'm sure it helped them because they're like, what are we going to do? Even if they were, right. Even if nobody was doing anything, all the kids were together and it was like, that's what they were doing. Right. So they, they had each other just like we had each other to figure out how to deal with them, how to deal with all this new stuff as different as it was, we had our kids on the weekends. We, you know, we had each other on holidays as they did. And our kids were always together. Right. Regardless right. Of which is, out. which is a real blessing. And so right. highly unusual that you would have yeah. that like built in additional yeah. support. And so, you know, for, for those of you listening that you're, you're going to go from being on the battlefield, whether it's a mild one or really high conflict one. And and there's going to be that transition of pivoting. And as TH and Jessica are saying, it's like when you have things like another woman or another man involved, um, that, you know, that's about, so you're going to be emotionally triggered. And I love, Jessica, um, your, um, your focus on the long game, um, because it's a focus on the children. And so, Regardless of what happened through the divorce, uh, this concept of put your sword down, take your coat of armor off, settle into this new space because you've already fought over all of the important things. Now, now, now this is this is, you know, it's not always the small stuff, but so often co-parents end up fighting over small stuff. Yes. I just also want to add, and I don't know if there are people that can relate to this. You know, when we were growing up, divorce looked like War of the Roses. And I, there was, I don't know, my parents are still together. So I don't know why I ever, I ever really had, it's not like I had thoughts about divorce, but I would, I would think to myself, like, I don't understand how two people that get, that loved enough, each other enough to walk down the aisle and get married could then end up there. Mm -hmm. And 
I felt like despite the fact that the last two years of my marriage, maybe three, weren't great. I, I definitely, when I look back now, like, no, I wasn't that happy. But we had a really great run, I think. I know he does too. And I felt like despite whatever happened the last couple of years did not negate the first 15 years we had together. I could still appreciate everything that we had done and been through and all of the great times we had together. And on on many levels, I still liked him as an actual person. I think he was an idiot. I think he was disrespectful. I think he was all the things that someone is when they cheat on their spouse. But there, I was able to somehow compartmentalize that and still like him for his sense of humor. He still right. made me laugh. Like he was still good with the kids. And there were all of these other things. And I do think that that made it easier for me. Like I genuinely liked him as a person, despite the fact that I felt like he no longer had the privilege of being married to me. I no. think that's a, a huge part of why I have been able to get through all of it the way that I have, which I know doesn't work for everyone because there's a lot of resentment and a lot of anger and a lot of vindictiveness when people are getting divorced, particularly when there's been an affair. And I feel fortunate that I had someone who I did genuinely like as a person. We would have been friends had right. we not gotten married. That's how I feel. And in our Voices of Celebration series, um, so often uh, I hear that same sentiment, um, not so much from the high conflict people, but from people who something happened, it was financial betrayal, it was infidelity of one type or another, or, you know, they outgrew each other. And in all of those cases, that ability, and, and you're talking about something that doesn't just happen. It's something that you have to work on, which is I, I choose to forgive. I choose to compartmentalize. I choose to let go. I choose to focus on what's best for my children and their other parent being in their life and us cooperating is helpful for them when you can. And then when we pivot back to high conflict, you know, I just want to say that for those of us in high conflict marriages, divorces, and co-parenting, there's this setup for failure, which is if you're a good parent, you'll have a cooperative, collaborative co-parenting relationship. And it takes two. And so um, you can want all you want. You can forgive all you want. You can pivot all you want. But if that other parent is going to continue to be in that high conflict place, then there's a, a different playbook right. for, for going forward. And can you kind of, um, can you jive on that TH and share a little bit of what that was for you? Of course, your friends and loved ones deeply care about you. But if you're honest, while they mean well, when it comes to your divorce, they just don't get it. And sometimes you leave those conversations feeling even more isolated. If you're lonely and craving connection and support, check out our high conflict divorce support group, where an intimate group of 12 people gather from the comfort of their homes to hear, see, and encourage each other while our JBD team of coaches provide emotional support and practical guidance. There's no reason to take this journey alone. 
if you've been yearning for support, go to journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash HCDSG and register today. have learned not to forgive. I do not forgive him for the immense amount of disrespect, lying, cheating, all of it. She's not the reason our marriage ended. I mean, sorry, she's the one who set me free. But our marriage was over way before that. And I see that very clearly now. I do accept everything that's happened, though. I will not let it eat me alive. I will not allow um, the negative stuff in my life and him included, but he's not the only thing that's negative. If you take it in and hide it and lie about it, it will eat you up, which it definitely did to me. Jessica and I were always together. We didn't even know how we felt about our own marriages falling apart because we weren't (laughs) even facing it ourselves. We weren't able to put a finger on it. We were afraid. We were afraid of what was going on, that we didn't even speak about it to one another. And so I would say that I have learned to accept it and leave it where it was and not allow it to control me. So it's not even just him. Just the experience and the emotions, I have faced them. I've taken responsibility in my own right for allowing someone to treat me like that. I allowed bad behavior. I allowed poor examples of parenting and what a relationship should look like. My parents are 55 years married. They bicker, they fight, they love each other, they celebrate each other. It's all the things. I know what I need for a healthy relationship. So I have faced it. I have accepted it and I have moved on from it. But all of that takes time. And even Jessica's ex-husband was my best friend in high school. That's how <laughs> so I, met I him. accepted that Darren was a complete idiot. Right. Because he also wasn't a good friend to me. I wasn't the priority, but like, hello. And and I remember him calling me when when it all came out between the two of them. And he's like, I think you should divorce him. I'm like, oh, thanks for letting me know. (laughs) Thanks for giving me the blessing. Why didn't you give me the heads up like four years ago? So you accept the past, you face it and you you have to take your own responsibility and move forward. And it's a process. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the key there is I'm hearing that you both did um, a certain amount of work on yourselves to be able to show up as as the best co-parent that you could be. You have to figure out what what you need yourself to be able to get through it. I know myself. I know that I can't walk around with the weight of anger and resentment and a chip on my shoulder, it will infect everything about me and everything that I do. I got to let it go. I got to figure out where to put it and to be able to let it go. 
I need to, I certainly have had, you know, relationships since then that have ended like in a dumpster fire who I, where I am no longer in contact with them. But when that's not the case, I, I feel like if I have someone who's a good person in my life, I want to be able to maintain a relationship to some degree. I don't want to think negative thoughts. I don't want to be walking around pissed off all the time. It, it For me, it's unhealthy and it's, and it causes me more agita than it does you know, for me to just be able to be friends with them. It doesn't do anything to them. It only hurts That's you. Right. It hurts yeah. you carry I, that around. I subscribe to that. Yeah. And, and I would, I would argue Jessica that, um, everybody needs to be able to cleanse their heart of bitterness and resentment, because if you don't, you bring it into your relationship with your kids, your relationship right. with other intimate relationships. And so it's one of those things. Um, it's it's not a switch. It takes a long time. It's a process. And whether you're calling it acceptance or, you know, I talk a lot about forgiveness, not forgetting, not approving of, but whatever that takes for you to work through your emotional baggage around it so that so that you're because if you don't you will be triggered over yeah. and over and over again Correct. so people who say they forgive until the next time something happens and then they're a hot mess um that there may be some level of forgiveness but not deep enough to be long lasting right so let's talk a little bit about um about there's a couple of tips that you guys said or or rules that you that you've gone by and and you know th you said something about um taking a pause before you speak so so how is that helpful um with your ex if i put my emotions out there he will pounce all over it and i'll be back to the same ugly dance that i did in my entire marriage so I make sure that I really hear what's said and not what I what could be triggering something that wasn't said or intended. So we really handle communication through email so that there is no tone, there's no visual. It's literally the words. And I do take a minute to absorb it. And I read it a few times, even today, 15 years later, because he's not changed. I've only changed the way I respond, which has helped me. So um, I have seen him because we had our kids' graduations the last two years with my parents and my brother and all of our kids and his wife and his six-year-olds and my boyfriend. <laughs> and being around him, I have to stop and not speak until I think. And it's really important to make sure that what you're putting out there in the world, and I actually use it for most, I'm using it right now in this interview, really make sure you're hearing what's said, not what you think is going to be said, and not what you're anticipating is going to happen to cut it off. So always think before you speak or respond. When you take that pause, you're really shifting from that kind of knee-jerk reactivity to be able to be more thoughtful, intentional, and responsive. And when you're responsive, regardless of what kind of a human being you're with, when you're responsive, uh, you're 
you minimize conflict. And that's what I'm hearing that you've been practicing for a long time. I use it with my kids too. It's actually a really great skill for anyone to practice. Um, I used it in court. <laughs> I, it, it, I use it with my parents. You know, it's, it's just really good to be intentional on what you put out there. That's the precise word. Yep, exactly. And what about you, Jessica? Let's bounce over to you on this topic. I mean, I think that one of my rules is you have to pick your battles. Um, I, I, I think that things aren't always going to go your way. And particularly when there is another adult um, who has equal rights and power and authority as you in your kids' lives. Um, I also think that you really, one of my biggest and most difficult lessons to learn was that I can't micromanage what happens when my kids are with their dad. I, I like to be able to control things. I like the rules that I have, the boundaries that I set for my kids, the way that things are done in my home. And it was really a challenge for me. And I struggled a lot uh, as I understood that things were not the same at his house because it created problems for me because then all of a sudden my kids were like, well, we don't want to do it that way. We don't have to do it like that at dad's. And, you know, you have to start going down that road for however many years. Um, I would say that's probably one of like the biggest keys. Like you just have to learn that as long as your kids are fed and safe, you know, when they're with their other parent, you really don't have the right to dictate what time their bedtime is going to be or the fact that you only let your kids watch TV for however long and the fact that you won't allow them to do X, Y, or Z. It doesn't really matter. It's just not your um, right and you can't control it. And I think that that's a really hard pill to swallow. Really hard, yeah. really hard. Yeah, and especially, you know, for, for those who were the kind of um, primary parent, it's like there's a lot of control you have to give up. In 12-step programs, this, the question to ask is always, how important is it? And right. so I talk to my clients all the time, and it's like, you know, my, my daughter had Fruit Loops for dinner last night. Can you believe it at dad's? And okay, not the most nutritious, but how important is it? And and there's also, you know, as I pivot to you, TH, there's um, uh, Bill Eddy has three A's, one of his things. And it's like, don't advise, don't apologize, and don't admonish. And so when you're co-parenting, advising, we could talk about why apologize is a bad thing, but advising and admonishing is equal to throwing gasoline on the fire. Like nothing good mm -hmm. is going to come of that. You don't apologize just um, for those wondering, because if you're with a high conflict person and you apologize, it will be um, it will be the gun pointing at you. It will be the fuel used against you. And so mm -hmm. there, there's a, those three A's can be really, really val valuable. And certainly the um, advise and admonish part. Well, I also felt like any of the times that I would advise and admonish, which probably was pretty frequently when the kids were younger, the conversation always ended with him saying something along the lines of, well, too bad. This is how I'm doing it. And then I would stew afterwards and I would be yep. sitting there like, you know, crumpled up, like 
clenching my teeth and pissed off. Yep. And literally there's nothing you can do about it. And I really had to learn to like, I got to let it go. I'm the, I'm, he's there laughing and having a good time with the kids and the kids are having a great time. And I'm sitting at home all angry alone. Like and calling me. (laughs) Right. Right. And honestly, like using up my energy for that. That's right. Right. Totally not worth it. It takes time to realize that, though. It takes time it, to realize that that's what's time. happening to you a and that's time. what's going on because you want so badly to be like, you want someone else to say, you know what? You're right. Yes. You should not be doing that. You are the best parent right. ever and he <laughs> sucks. That's what right. we like crave at the beginning, especially when we're coming out and I was a single parent. Like, how are, how are you saying anything good about this guy? Like that's offensive to me, but those that's, you know, the slow progression of learning. It it definitely takes time. Yeah. And that's that transition period. So picking your battles, um, focusing on the time you have with the kids, the time you can control and not, not what mom or dad, what the other parent is doing. And, um, and we talked about, um, you know, the pause, uh, taking the pause before speaking, um, you said something offline, TH, that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, don't compromise yourself for the children. Can you share a little bit about uh, what you mean by that? Sure. So when I separated um, from my ex, my kids were eight, six and four. And five months later was my eight year old's birthday to turn nine. And okay. I thought. I thought I had to be at like a group dinner for her. Like what kind of mother would I be? Except I put myself in a position that I decided on my own would be the best thing for her to have me, her dad, his fiance and our other two kids there. I never really thought through like, what's the seating arrangement going to be like? Where am I sitting in a booth? Am I sitting at a table? Who am I sitting next to? I have to look at him and her across the table the whole time. And I went and he definitely made some snide comments at me. And I was sitting there like literally sick to my stomach. And um, I continue to do those kinds of things and put myself in that position. Then for my son's birthday in January, my other daughter's birthday in July and, you know, kindergarten, whatever. And, and I continue to put myself in those positions and I should, I would have been, cause I don't like the word should looking back now, what I've learned is I could have gone to my daughter and said, your birthday's coming up. It's going to be amazing. Where are you going with your dad? And where do you want to go with me? And you get two birthday dinners. I literally sacrificed my well-being, especially at those dinners. If you're at graduation with your, you know, other people, I can be surrounded. But I, for me to sit there for an hour was, was I, I don't really have the words to explain how incredibly difficult that is. And then people will be like, oh, you're so strong to do that. You know, you're the best mom. And I was like, I literally was the sacrificial lamb. I I was, and, and, and it was a free for all. And my kids were little kids. They weren't even like that. That's not nice. We don't say that. They do that now, but they couldn't then. They were just happy right. to eat cake and Chinese food, right. you know? Right. 
So I, and that, I that's think what I mean. Like you can talk to your kids, you can have conversations, you can spin it differently, even if they're, especially if they're young. And then as my, my then eight-year-old got older, she decided, I don't want you guys together. Nobody's happy together. I want to be happy with you. And then I want to be happy with dad instead of unhappy being with both of you in the same space. And other than her graduation from college, that is what we have done. And I'm so grateful that she called it out. And then she kind of set the precedent for my other kids. But I was afraid to, to, I was afraid to not look like a quote unquote normal family for my kids, but we're not a quote unquote normal family. This is what we are. We are transitioning into a new normal. Okay. And, and, and what I a beautiful kind of, thing. I mean, what she called out is uh, they, they say that divorce doesn't hurt children as much as conflict. And so, yes, if two parents can get together as co-parents and celebrate their children's birthday, that's lovely. Um, but if there's tension, even if there's no snarky words, if there's tension, we're all just energetic beings and our children are such receptors. And so I yeah. remember my daughter, uh, it was probably one year within a year. Yeah. It was like six months after I moved out and into our own place and um, her birthday is December 30th and she wanted daddy there. And we had a very high conflict divorce and um, and there was nothing but tension and conflict when we were together. And um, and I remember negotiating with her and deciding daddy can come when we cut the cake and for cake, like because it was important to her and she made it really clear. And so um, so it was this this very boundaried period of right. time. It was like daddy's going to walk into my house, which I didn't like. And, and, and we got about a half hour and, and I talked it through with her so that she knew and we'll take pictures so that daddy's in front of the cake with How you. How old was and she? How old was she? She, she was um, eight. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you have those early ages, um, a lot of times we think something's going to be so devastating. That's not right. Like the, the kids are going to be so devastated if we don't do this thing. But to your point, I love the way you brought that up. It's like, where's the self-care? Where is the taking care of myself so that I can be the best mom to my children? And so, and, and everybody, we're not making any recommendations. Like each of us have different values. We have different relationships. Um, we have different capacities for patients or what have you. And so this is really just to share a couple of examples of, of ways that, um, that Jessica and TH have co-parented to give you ideas, to give you permission um, to give you grace and mercy that this is none of this is easy. Um, and, and I think so far the underlying message too is do your own work. Stop, stop looking at what he or she is doing in the other household and really keep the focus on yourself. Um, because that's where, that's where all of the, that's where all of the value is. And, and, um, Jessica, you said something uh, about 
really the value of being nice and kind in your um, co-parenting situation. Can you share a little bit about that? I can. I mean, obviously, it goes along with the idea that I have this very amicable relationship, that we have a friendship. Um, and I always felt we had obviously a parenting schedule. My kids were only two and four when it all started. But if there were times where he was going away on a vacation or doing this or doing that or had something ha- you know happening where he wanted to switch nights with the kids, I-, I always was open to doing that because I just knew that there were going to be times, w- you know, when I was going to need that kind of flexibility. And I really believe like what goes around comes around. So I- and if there were times Fortunately, we did have our nanny, but if there were times where on a weekend, one of the kids forgot something at one of our houses and we needed to do X, Y, or Z and go there and pick it up, like, I think a lot of people think about those things as like, well, I'm not going to do him a favor. I'm not going to do her a favor by picking up the slack that they didn't do. And we've had a lot of conversations with Michelle Dempsey, whom we really respect and admire. And Michelle is like, you're not doing it for him or for her. You are doing it for your kids. kids. If your kid is supposed to go to a costume party and the costume is at your house and, you know, they're at their other parents' house and you need to bring the costume over and you're like, well, I'm not doing it because they're they should come and pick it up. Like at a certain point, you just have to be like, I'm just going to help my kid. So I, I really feel like being flexible and being nice. If it can go both ways. is invaluable and has benefited me, benefited me a lot. Because when I started dating and I had a parenting schedule and that, you know, I needed a night off or this or that, like I was always able to work it out with him. It was never a problem. So I'm really grateful that I was always super flexible because it comes back in spades. And how do you think that impacted your kids, both of you being so flexible? I, my kids love when we're all together. They love it. I, my kids are very comfortable when we're all together. And and this year for Mother's Day, the four of us had dinner. It, I, I feel like I'm giving, not that I'm giving my kids a gift, but I'm giving my kids a gift because they are so comfortable. And I feel like, look, every all kids tell their moms certain stuff and tell their dads certain stuff. So I kind of love the, you know, when we're all together, because I feel like I get little, you know, tidbits and nuggets of things from conversations that they had that I may not have had otherwise. They're very open talking to both of us and talking about things that sometimes they're not necessarily talking about when they're with me alone and, and likely the same with him. So I feel like it's benefited my kids hugely. We, all four of us piled into the car and drove six hours to bring my kid up to college last summer and like had a great time. I mean, I feel like my kids at their ages now, 17 and 19, have enough friends whose parents are divorced that they have expressed the gratitude that we have the relationship that we have. They know that they're lucky that we've been able to do this, that we were both on the same page with this from the very beginning. Uh, They hopefully will never know the efforts that went into it, which I will pat my own back and say more on my part, because if I had been all caught up in the affair thing, I, I, I think it would have been very understandable if I had not taken the path that I did. And like I said, my ex kind of followed my lead in that way. But I think that my kids um, recognize 
how lucky they are. And I do think that it's benefited them and, and, um, and it's been great for them and I'm grateful for it. Yeah. And, and it's a beautiful story of collaborating and cooperating afterwards. And so much that's out there um, in the ethernet says, if you're getting divorced, you, you have to be amicable and collaborate and coke and, and, be cooperative because it's best for the children. And all of that is completely true. And it takes two. Right. And I, and I do want to say, I mean, I don't want to make it like it's all unicorns and rainbows. I mean, he pisses me off. Like we definitely, we're not married anymore. We don't agree on everything. There's shit that he does that like makes me really angry. There's stuff that he says he's going to take care of that he doesn't. And I have to do like, I mean, we have our things, yes. but for the most part, it all yes. works. I, I certainly don't want to make it like, oh, I'm like the shining light beacon of what everybody should aspire to. No, he's a pain in my ass because he's my ex-husband, but it works. And I think that at the end of the day, we both actually respect each other and we both like each other. And that's what it comes down to. That's, that's really big. Yeah. And and that is really big because I know a lot of people, not just TH, but I know a lot of people who didn't even have as high conflict divorces as she had, where they're like, I don't even like my ex. I don't know how I ended up with them. Like, that's not a person that I even enjoy being around. Right. And, right. and I totally get it. And I feel really fortunate that that's not my circumstance. Well, well and what's really interesting, um, Jessica, is you have... It's almost as though you have um, a more extreme version of amicable, right? So even for all of the people who have gone through the garden variety, um, first of all, kudos to you for doing that hard work to bite your tongue and put your kids first. And so we have plenty of people who go through an amicable divorce, but hold on to bitterness and resentment and aren't able to put the children's needs first. And so they're going to look more like high conflict, even though they don't have to. Right. And then there are the people who, no matter how much you try, unless you're going to put yourself right back in the same dynamic of tying yourself into a pretzel, giving up yourself constantly, bending constantly, which is not healthy for you or for your kids to see, that those high conflict co-parenting, you can't possibly do um, do what you're describing, Jessica, because uh, what's good for the goose isn't good for the gander. It doesn't I agree. go both ways. Agreed. And so, and so, I just love for you, Th, to to jump in on that. And I think this is a great time for you to bring up. I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but. I think the example of boundaries around communication is a perfect example of how with grace and dignity, you can do what's best for the children without trying to do a dance that's just not happening with your ex. Yeah, I mean, I I think just to kind of tag on what Jessica said and lead into what you're asking, you have to keep your kids out of it. Mm -hmm. Even in my high conflict divorce, Right. I had to keep my kids out of it. My kids don't even know 99% of it, nor will they. And they're not your best friend. They're your kids. There's a place for it. Jessica and I had each other to just spew it all. Therapists. But that's it. Because you tell friends, you tell family, your kids will overhear it and they will be in the middle of it. So 
I moved from text messaging because it was harassing and completely no phone calls to only emails. So I have been taught by my therapist and I'm sharing it all with you today that if you're in a position where you cannot and you are uncomfortable speaking on the phone to your ex or to their father, whatever the situation is, or, or seeing them in person, write it down, write it down like a business meeting with an agenda and don't send 10 emails with one item in each. Put it all in one. You have to limit the amount of communication because if I had put myself in those vulnerable spots, number one, nothing would have been resolved that was on the to-do list. And um, I would have just felt defeated again. I would have just been brought back to that place. I wasn't in a place of strength yet. hadn't learned enough yet. I didn't know how to undo bad patterns yet. And so really setting up boundaries for how we communicate was critical. And it actually was happenstance because he was texting me 30 times a night, berating me. And so I went to my lawyer and I was like, I can't do this. And now knowing it, I should have just shut off the phone. Right. But Mm -hmm. we don't. And we didn't. And um, so then the deal was no more text messaging to me, otherwise restraining order for harassment. So uh, that's how it got into emails. And then my therapist helped me again, think before I speak, no emotions, purely facts this weekend, this is happening, this happening, this happening. And you had said earlier, Karen, about not advising. And I actually just edited an email that I sent to him this morning And in it, it had said, I think, and I got rid of it. And actually, if you turn it around and you say, what do you think? Then they're like the hero. But that took time to learn that skill. So he doesn't, he doesn't care what I think. He doesn't want to hear my opinion. He's not interested in that. So you strip it down to the facts And then that's the best way for me to communicate without being triggered, without saying things that I don't want to say, and in order to keep the kids out of it. And and by the way, I can only control 100% of my 50%. He did bring them into quite a bit of things. And so I think that you can still show up as a really great co-parent on your own, even if the other one is not in on the same page, I definitely showed up in a much healthier way for a long, long time. And that's because I was going to therapy and I was learning how to respond and just be a good listener for my kids, shut my mouth. I'm here, but I'm not giving an opinion. And, and all of those things are, are really critical and it, and it runs deep, like high conflict runs deep. You know, I married him because he's the devil I knew, right? From growing up and all the other stuff that that you yep. carry along as as heavy baggage. Um, yeah, I, w- I would argue that, especially if the person is high conflict, all the more reason for you to um, really do the work, uh, be intentional. Um, set boundaries and, and, you know, that piece, I mean, you're talking about one little piece about boundaries. I'm about to do a, 
a five-day um, boundary challenge. And for those of you divorcing someone who's more high conflict, the, the tendency is to focus on their behavior. And the beauty is when you just take full agency. And that's what uh, that's what TH is talking about. TH, I woke up one day to 138 text messages. Um, now, my phone was I had long since put my phone on silent because my kids were under my roof. Um, so I didn't have to worry about it. But I remember waking up, looking and going, wow, he had a really bad night last night. Um, and, and so, so I've, I've, I, I certainly coach around co-parenting and that ability to choose, are we going to speak? Are we going to text? Are we going to email? If the emails are triggering me and they're three pages long, how am I going to deal with it? Um, do I want to see it dropping into my inbox if I'm working during the day? Do I want that phone dinging while I'm being texted? Texted, And so there's all types of decisions that we can make as co-parents to create safety and create boundaries so that we're not triggered so that we can be the best with our kids. And that's what I hear you doing with the way that you've approached this. And what's really interesting now, I think the three of us all have kids from 19. My oldest is 26. I have a 24 and a 26 year old. So we've been doing this. We've been doing this, each of us for about a decade and a half. And yeah. one of the things, and I would love for you to each chime in on this. So, so for me, um, my children uh, of their own accord have decided that uh, being in relationship with dad doesn't work. It's harmful for them. Had I complained or put him down at all, I never would have been the sounding board and the safe person for them to just process what they were experiencing mm -hmm. and make their own decisions. And so that's the last thing I'm going to throw in is I don't care how bad he or she is. Do never um, put down, belittle, complain about um, your child's parent to them. You can complain to your girlfriend, your coach, your therapist, not in earshot of them, not if they're 9, 19, 29, or 49. Do not ever um, speak negatively about that other parent because that way you get to be a safe person for your children to come to and work through the challenges that they're having. We always say that. Don't talk shit about your ex. Nothing good comes of it. We're human. We've all had our moments that we're not so proud of, um, but we agree wholeheartedly. I mean, it's nothing good comes of that. Yes. And also, especially when your kids are younger, like that whole expression right. of like from the mouths of babes or like kids say the damnedest things like shit fell out of my kids' mouths to me that they had picked up when they were out with their dad or their grandparents that I'm sure I was not meant to hear. So I knew that if there was stuff that I was saying, it was 100% going to go back to them. It's totally unintentional, but like you right. got to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. Bite your, tongue. Bite your tongue. I've actually taught my kids now how to have a reasonable relationship with their dad because for the last few years, they've really struggled with him. And I remember my daughter telling me 
that she, and this is still the eight-year-old who's now 23. She goes, I just don't want to hate my dad. I so don't want to hate him. I want to love him, but he makes it very difficult. Mm -hmm. And she's actually very quiet, but she comes up with these lines like, you know, so I know she's thinking about it. And my younger daughter has the most conflict with him because I think that he reminds her of me. She reminds him. She reminds him of me. Yep. And, um, and so I have actually, I've been her sounding board. I do not speak badly about him. I do believe that we make our own beds. I believe that cream rises to the top because we all do. And um, there's nothing I can do. I mean, there's nothing I can do about it. All I can do is now teach you what I've learned in terms of responding and deciding what works for you. Then don't have your birthday party out there in the Hamptons as awesome as it sounds because it tortures you. It's not worth it, but she had to kind of live it. Yep. And then I listen and I support and, and I do believe they will have a relationship with him. But the girls in particular are kind of making their rules and setting their boundaries for what that is going to look like. But I will tell you all from eight, six and four to 19 plus, there's a lot of hard times. I'm sure, Karen, you faced it, too, where your kids would come home and say stuff and you want to be like, well, you want to know what I think? And you're not going to tell them. And you bite your tongue and you sit there and you hug them and you're empathetic and you say that must have been really hard. I totally hear you. And and that's how you're a great parent. You show up for your kids because you're a great parent, not because you have an agenda, not because there's a smear campaign, because you are their mom or their dad and you are showing up and that's it. And you're human. You're human. So I the, for the mistakes that we've made, you know, Jess, like they've heard stuff or whatever. And, and they did overhear me once on the phone that ended. I owned it. Yep. I went up to them. I said, you know what? I made a huge mistake. Don't blow it off. You made a mistake. You totally screwed up. So just own it. So they know to own it and they know you're human and don't also- do it again. At the end of the day, I mean, everyone shows their true colors. We're so afraid when our kids are younger, you know, obviously to try to do everything right. And we don't know what they're going to think later about the divorce and about, you know, what they see, what they witnessed, what's going on in their heads. But I really do believe that as kids get older and particularly as they become young adults themselves, you know, they're going to make their own decisions. And if one of the parents is really the more problematic, more difficult parent, the kids know that. And and they'll decide to try to maintain a relationship with them or not. But like, we don't have to encourage them or push them in a direction. It's going to happen naturally. They right. absolutely it's not good for them. Absolutely. It's not and- for them. I would say uh, one little story. So my ex also just shared, you know, broke all the rules, shared a lot of stuff with the kids that was inappropriate. And I was the bad guy for years because 
now they had half the story and they demanded the other half the story. And I, I, I'm not going there. That's not your, your, that's not going on your little shoulders. Right. And I have so many clients who like, yeah, but they think um, like I, they have a right to know, I have a right to clear the, you know, clear it up. And, you know, the answer is please don't, please don't. And to your point, Jessica, they are going to, ultimately, they're going to know. They're going to find out. They're going to make their own determination. So be quiet. And and it was my daughter um, in the last few years who came to me like really teary-eyed and said, I'm so sorry. Like I, I believed everything that daddy said. And I just thought you were so bad. And now I've experienced and lived and seen and... And it was just a beautiful opportunity for us to just grow tighter and for me to explain one more time why I wouldn't have burdened her. And to your point, though, trust that um, these little people we bring into the world, they will see, they will assess, they will determine. And you don't have to you don't have to share that with them until they're ready to figure it out on their own. Right. I'm so happy, Karen, that you had that with your daughter, because I've had like a few like nuggets of joy like that in my life that are just they they make it all worth it. It's so yes. redeeming. We did the right thing. Like we we're all OK. This is just validation. Yes. And and you don't know when it's coming your way, but it, it'll come. It'll come if you do the work and, and you're listening to all these great things, you know, that Karen is sharing and, and educating yourself. It's it's not easy, but you're going to be OK and your kids are going to be OK. Joe and their spouse always seemed to be fighting but nothing was ever resolved. Their spouse would constantly blame them, unwilling to take any responsibility. Joe lived in the tension of walking on eggshells, doubting themselves, and over time, they became unhinged, angry, and triggered, struggling further with shame and self-condemnation. Their reactivity was used as proof that they were the problem. If you're in a relationship or marriage filled with conflict and blame, and you're wondering, is this normal or could it be toxic? Take the quiz and find out how toxic your relationship is. Go to journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash toxic quiz and find out today. anything a final uh, words of wisdom or encouragement that you want to say and then I'd like you to share a little bit about uh, X experts and just let people know where they can find you I would just you know echo what th just said divorce sucks it doesn't matter if you're having a friendly amicable divorce or if you're having an acrimonious divorce divorce sucks and it's scary and dark and overwhelming and emotional. It's all of the things, no matter whether you initiated it or not. Um, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I know that it's hard to see 
And based on someone's situation, it may be harder to see for some than others. But the truth of the matter is that when all is said and done and when the smoke clears, it's really an opportunity for you to like relearn who you are, what you're looking for, what you need. And it's an an opportunity to live the life that you want and deserve. And we always, you know, say to people, we we are not advocates for divorce. In no way are we ever encouraging, God forbid, unless someone is in some type of an, uh, you know, an abusive situation and if safety is an issue, you got to get out. Um, But we're, we're not encouraging people to get divorced, but we are encouraging people to dig deep and recognize and acknowledge what kind of a life you want. And staying for the kids is really not the answer. There are enough studies done and enough experts out there, enough psychologists uh, who speak to the fact that kids that grow up in an environment with, you know, parents who are always at each other's throats and who are not modeling a healthy relationship are worse off in the end than having two happy parents in two separate homes. So I, I, you know, just want to say like, you, you will be okay. You'll be more than okay. There are a lot of things that you can do, a lot of places you can go for support and resources to get through it. But like, you'll be so much happier on the other side. Yeah. I would just say that existing is not living. I existed. I floated. I wore armor. I, I just was there. I was not functioning. I was not participating. I was not growing. I wasn't even stuck. I was under the mud. And that's not living. And we have one, one life to live here. And it's no failure on your part. It's not a reflection on you personally. If you're in a relationship that's not working for you, you can approach it with empathy like Darren and Jessica did over a box of tissues at the dining room table, or you can stand up for yourself. And and I really didn't trust my gut. I was, the fear outweighed the sound of my gut telling me, you need to move on. You need to get mm-hmm. out of here. I couldn't find my way. Like that's unfathomable to me right now. How do I not find my way? That sounds absolutely ridiculous. Everybody has their own stuff, but there are vetted, trusted resources out there and you deserve to live in a way that works for you. And so Just educate yourself. It is powerful. It is everything. And you can learn anything that you want to. And you could, that means you can do the work, you can do the things. I had a quote that I just shared the other day. I'm, I follow Peloton really because the instructors are so inspiring. But my guy, Maddie Majacomo, said, as of where you are right now in this moment, you have survived 100% of your hardest days. I like that. So don't say you can't do it. You're actually doing it right now. You did it yesterday. You did it last night. You are doing it. So don't question yourself. You can do hard things. Get the right support. Have positive, not toxic people around you and trust your gut. That was a long-winded last note, but it's all intertwined. I want people to know we are, three of us are shining examples. Did we want divorce? No. Did I want my kids to go through this? No. 
do I, you know, I didn't want any of it, but I'm so thankful for it because I wouldn't be here today. I don't know what I would be if I was still back there just existing and not living. Beautifully said. So tell us a little bit about the ex-experts and then we'll um, say our goodbyes. I mean, it all came from our experiences of having gone through this at exactly the same time, being young. We weren't really quite at the age group yet where people start getting divorced. Our kids were really little. Our, we didn't have a lot of experience with it. Like TH said, you know, our parents are still together. Um, and we would talk back then, like, how the hell do people do this? Every day we were like, did your lawyer tell you this? Have you learned about this? Don't forget to ask your lawyer about this. Like guiding each other through the processes, even though we had completely different divorces, there were some similarities and there are some things to just know that were worth asking our lawyers, even if in the end it didn't necessarily apply to us. So we felt like there weren't a lot of resources back there, back then, for us to really be able to educate ourselves and and know what we needed to know. Because the truth is, you don't know what you don't know until you're going through it. And so years later, um, we were we found ourselves a few years ago at a point where we were like, we really need to offer this. Now there's so much information out there. Everybody has an agenda. Scary. You don't know who to trust. You could read an article about how to find the best lawyer, but it's written by a lawyer who wants you to hire them. We decided there we needed like an unbiased, vetted, multi, you know, faceted platform where everyone can go and all of the information is there in the categories that you need, talking about the real stuff with experts in the divorce industry, as well as what we consider ourselves to be real life experts. And so X experts was born and the divorce, et cetera, podcast was born and we're everywhere you want to be. I mean, we're the podcast is on every podcast platform. I'm happy to say we hit a milestone of more than a hundred thousand downloads at this point. Woo-hoo. I think we're at 110 now we're top 20%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have a website, that's where kind of everything lives, but we are obviously all over social media, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. Our handle is always at XExperts. It's all spelled out, E-X-E-X-P-E-R-T-S. And we, people DM us, we offer um, one-on-one sessions. We listen to the feedback from the XExperts community, and that's how we decide what topics to cover, who to speak to, and and what questions to ask so that it's relevant specifically to the people who are coming to us for resources and support. And it's just a platform that we wish we had had that we didn't have. Beautiful. And and Karen is among our original Karen is one of our experts and has contributed multiple um, um, podcast interviews with us. And we are now also on YouTube with original new content about kind of the stuff we deal with now after divorce. Like we've been divorced longer than we've been married and we've dated and broken up and kind of repeated bad patterns and our kids are growing up and how to deal with new questions and new things. And all of that is now shared on our YouTube channel. So you can find it all at exexperts.com. And any questions, you can email us at hello at xexperts. And all of that will be in our show notes, so you can find it there. Uh, Great ladies. They have a great platform. They offer a tremendously valuable service, so check them out. And 
Jessica and TH, thank you so much for coming and sharing your personal story and your wisdom and um, and your growth. Uh, I'm sure it's going to help all of our listeners. So thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Karen. It's always a pleasure. Right back at you. And we'll be back real soon with a new series. So you stay tuned. Until then, bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.